This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. Morning Blitz with Rick Corey. Weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on the Blitz 1170 and streaming at theblitztulsa.com. This is at least one thing that I can say, Matt, that I feel like that I've if you could walk out of here tomorrow and we could never see each other again, but at least you would be able to say, you turned me on to Space Hog. So <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I don't care what they say. The song still is indeed an absolute banger. Oh, absolutely. And it was in a trailer. God, what new movie was it? was in the trailer. Really? Yeah, I think it's for one of the new Marvel movies. Oh, Probably, what, Guardians of the Galaxy or something? It was in Guardians 3. Was it? Oh, I was yeah, going to say. it was say, in the trailer, and I was like, it would either... oh, they went full space hog. I'm like, well, of course I'm going to watch it anyway, but yeah. now I'm really going to watch it. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely going to get watched. Speaking of music, uh, before we get to our guest, <laughs> I saw a tweet today that said, hey, reminder, Rihanna, who I have a photo with and I met backstage at a concert <laughs> in Oklahoma City. Yeah, being that guy. Oh. Before Kanye lost his mind, it was actually awesome to go watch. She opened up for Kanye in Oklahoma City, and we got to go backstage and meet her. Incredibly nice. Oh. It sounds creepy when I say it, and I get in trouble every time. Dude, you say this like at least once a year, and it's the most haunting thing ever. She smelled so good. So good. What, like fresh pancakes? Oh, I was just... I, I can't even describe it. But they were like, hey, remember... Uh, her press conference today for the Super Bowl halftime show. But on top of that was never forget when Prince came in in 07 to do his pre-Super Bowl halftime show performance. He walked up to the mic and said, uh, contrary to popular belief, I will be taking questions. And when someone asked the first question, boom, the curtain fell and Prince played an entire 15-minute performance in front of the media instead of a press conference. Okay, that which I was incredibly jealous of. That beats a presser like, any day of the week. You guys are watching a private performance from Prince right now for 15 minutes and then went out and absolutely dominated the Super Bowl halftime show in Miami in the rain, which still today stands to me as the greatest Super Bowl halftime performance that we've ever had. Nothing will ever top Prince playing a guitar shaped in his own symbol in the rain with purple LED lights shining down and playing Purple Rain at the halftime at the Super Bowl in Miami. Nothing will ever, and I mean ever, top that. Maybe Janet's did, but only for one one reason, one one small reason. All right, it's 201. Uh, let's hit up the hotline. He's probably tired of listening to all of our nonsense. Uh, he is uh, Jordan Foote, who's joining us now. Deputy editor at Arrowhead Report. Covering the Kansas City Chiefs as the Chiefs get set to take on the Eagles coming up on this little thing called Super Bowl Sunday. What's up, Jordan? How are you today, ma'am? 
Hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to be on and happy to listen. You know, I people in Kansas City keep me on much longer than you guys did, so that's no biggie at all. <laughs> I try not to let people like hang on the uh, hotline for too long because I've been a. Uh, I'm guilty of that at times, and, uh, you know, by the time – sometimes I feel like guests are left on hold longer than they're actually on the air, so I, I try not to do that at all. Uh, how's this week been for you, man? Uh, all of this build up here to the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, I'm sure by this point you're like, can we just kick the damn thing off and get ready and go? But what's the uh, build up for you been like? Yeah, it's been better than last year, I think, in some ways. And I was down at Radio Row last year and then came back before the game, and it was it was very hectic. Everything was crazy. The Chiefs weren't even playing in it, so I literally could not imagine what it would be like to be actually down there right now with all the media obligations and the ins and outs of talking to different members of the team and all that good stuff. So definitely uh, grateful to have a little bit of a break from that chaos and, mm-hmm. and cover remote. But like you said, man – Definitely at the point where, and I think the players are at the same spot, they just want the game to be over with. You know, they, they just want to get out there and play, and I, I would like that as well. <laughs> it's been a long season. It's been a long playoff run. And, you know, obviously, blessed to cover a team that has these playoff runs and gets to the Super Bowl and gets to the AFC Championship game and all that good stuff. Um, but I think everyone collectively, now that it's Thursday, by this afternoon, if people haven't already shifted to just focusing on the game itself, they're going to we're we're running out of questions about Tyree Kill we're running out of questions about uh, cheeseburgers and Mahomes' and voice and all the side talk it's kind of shifting back to where it should be I think so that's good well that's what I was going to ask you outside of the storylines that have been brought up by the way I didn't know if you know this or not but the Kelsey brothers are facing off against each other in the Super Bowl really I, I, yeah I had no idea until uh, today I opened up Twitter and saw that and I thought I'll be damned um, the, the five, I, you had a, there was a post on Arrowhead report about the five storylines, and I think we can all name them off the top of our head, what they are, but what are some storylines that so far have not been talked about in your opinion that involve this game that are going to be key elements to who ultimately comes out on top? Yeah, I, I think you can't talk enough, um, about the Jalen Hurts shoulder injury. And I don't think people have brought it up often enough and I listen I'm going to preface all this with I really like Jalen Hurts I think he's one hell of a guy he's one hell of a player and I wish that he was 100% healthy and maybe he is going to be healthy after a little bit of time off but man he didn't look good when he came back he didn't look good the first week he didn't look good the second week the postseason run not very memorable not very good Um, he is a little bit hesitant I think he isn't pushing the ball down the field well enough or accurately enough if the Chiefs' pass rush can get after him early and often, I think that's going to make uh, him have a really rough afternoon, evening into the night. That is, I think, number one. The storyline there isn't talked about enough. And then I also think the Chiefs' wide receiver injuries are real. Now, they are probably mm-hmm. going to have the Schuster and Kadarius Tony out there, and they're going to be quote-unquote healthy heading into the game. Um, but Juju's been largely... I don't want to say ineffective, but not nearly as effective since about Christmas. And I think that knee injury has been lingering for a while. Kadarius Tony is always one play away from an early exit. I think that's a legitimate thing. Um, even guys like Travis Kelsey, he has been battling a little bit of a back thing later in the season. I don't think he's 100%. And you mentioned today, this morning, that's the hardest part for him is getting the body back to full strength. So Patrick Mahomes, ironically, the, the man of the hour, the man of the year, the man of 
in the past five years for the Chiefs. Not too worried about his injury, but the Chiefs just being able to stay healthy on offense. And then I think just the injury aspect in general for both of those teams, the injury reports themselves pretty clean, not too shabby. Um, but those guys, no one's 100% at this point in the year, and I think you're going to see that on Sunday. Yeah, the uh, the Mahomes injury um, to me is, is one of those that um, – I mean, clearly, come him being able to bounce back and play the week after that that happened. I mean, yes, it's still a factor, and to your point about not being 100%, but that is not necessarily one that lingers as much with me. Now, I will say this, though, is that uh, you know the Eagles get the majority of their pressure with just rushing four. They haven't really had to send a lot of pressure on a lot of people, and then that would lead them to feeling really confident in how they cover on the back end. Um, I don't know what type of game plan that you'll necessarily see from the Eagles. What are they going to ratchet up a little bit pressure on Mahomes and maybe send a few more people after him? But um, the one thing that I do know about Pat is that uh, bouncing back and playing that that week after the injury told me a lot about what to expect out of him in this moment in the Super Bowl. I think from that element, he's going to be fine. Yeah, oh, for sure. When you go out there, on a high ankle sprain. And you can tell, I mean, in that second half that it was bothering him and it didn't feel good. And he tweaked it a little bit when he fumbled the ball and went to go after those quick twitch kind of quick reaction type deals. Um, he threw for what, 326 and two touchdowns. <laughs> it was extremely effective. He looked fantastic. He got up to 18.34 or 43 or whatever miles per hour it was on that last run. He's going to be really good on Sunday, barring, he just has a rough game. Like for health wise, I'm not worried about him. I think he's going to be fine. I also think he's a little bit of an alien and that he recovers quickly. He's extremely flexible. Um, of course, all it takes is perhaps one hit or one tweak for him to have it bother him, but he, he's going to be as close to hundred percent as he can get. And whether that's maxing out the athletic training staff or him maxing out his own rehab or a little bit of both or going light in practice, I think, the Chiefs know how to handle something like this. They have been handling something like this, and he's going to have a good game. And I'm not – I'd say on a scale of 1 to 10, probably like a 1, 1.5 one about that ankle in terms of a, a level of concern. You know, I was fascinated um, how just the season has ultimately played out. Uh, I never was a big believer in all of the national talking points about losing Tyreek and what that could potentially do with their offense. I thought in many ways, and we had multiple discussions about this in the afternoon here on this station, about how I think that that actually might be a, a positive for them uh, moving on from Tyreek Hill. But I, and I, I didn't know what ultimately that that looked like, Jordan, but I didn't think that their offense was going to fall off of a cliff the way that some people were talking about. But uh, to see them to perform to this level, um, how did they get here to this point during the season with even the loss of Tyreek and still end up being the offensive juggernaut and machine that they were. It's it's ridiculous. I They still somehow don't get enough credit for how they did that. To, and I thought heading into the year, they'd go maybe 11 and 6. They'd take a, a small step back. It'd be noticeable, but it wouldn't be anything crazy. They'd probably still win the division. They'd still have a top five offense, if not like a top seven offense. Like they'd still be really, really good. Um, but they'd have to win in different ways. And not only did they find different ways to win, but they also have the best offense in the league. They also went 13-4, and four, or 14-3, uh, and three rather, and, and got all the way to the Super Bowl and had this crazy season. A lot of it's the continuation 
of what Patrick Mahomes displayed last year and that he was very reluctant, even right up until the AFC Championship game in that second half. Those bad habits and tendencies kind of came back up. His pocket presence was a lot better this year. When you have Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown ranking in the top 10 among tackles and pressures given up, but the sacks just aren't there, that's a testament to the quarterback. I think Mahomes is a lot better now at being mobile within the pocket. He's more elusive somehow and slippery than he was. I think also being willing to take his checkdowns was something he didn't really love to do, and he probably still doesn't, but he's way more willing. Um, not zeroing in on Tyreek Hill, not feeling the pressure of having to feed him the ball constantly, and I think there was a minor element of that. Um, he's brought it up after he left at some games, which the stats don't back up, by the way. I don't know why he claimed something that you could easily look up, um, that he had low target games. And I'm like, bro, you had like three or four <laughs> in several years on the job. So I think just the internal pressure wasn't there. Um, and then the Chiefs, instead of adding one guy and doing a one-for-one swap, someone reported that they got offered pick number 10. They could have had Garrett Wilson or something like that. Instead of doing that from the Jets, they took the Dolphins' offer of multiple picks. They brought in Juju. They brought in Sky Moore, Justin Watson, MVS. Kelsey was still Kelsey. Jarek McKinnon emerged. He was just way more willing to be uh, sharing the love offensively. And I, I think that's the biggest deal. You can bring up the personnel. That's part of it. You can bring up Andy Reid. That's part of it. Kelsey still being Kelsey. Big deal. But Mahomes, it took the mental uh, growth and maturity. I think he despite not throwing for 5,000 whatever yards and the 50 touchdowns like he did in 2018, he's obviously a better quarterback now than he was back then. I think that's the reason behind it. I always love at this point in the season with teams that make it to the Super Bowl and just you go back and look at some of the moves or moves that they didn't make um, that you, you kind of shake your head at and you wonder what would have happened. And there was a time, and I'll, I'll let you speak to this, but there there was a time when, listen, Frank Clark just wasn't kind of living up to what some of the expectations that were that, that he had of him. I mean, 2021, yeah. you could probably categorize as one of his worst of his entire career that he had. And he sat down with him and had a, a really long conversation with him. And there was talk at that time about, Hey, you know, if we release him, we're clearing almost 13 million in, in cap space. But he went in, they restructured his deal, um, still created some some cap space, and it's moves like that because he comes back in, he's rededicated, he looks incredibly different from what he did, uh, and then the story kind of speaks for itself after that. But it's little moves like that, right? That you go one way or the other that can send you either to the Super Bowl in this case with what he's been able to do or could send you packing early on in the playoffs. But that's a that's a really incredible story uh, as well from one of their better players. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, uh, the addition of Carlos Dunlap also played a role in that. And it's like you said, those little moves. And obviously they gave Dunlap the max of uh, $8 million or $9 million or whatever it was. But to make those small investments on the fringes of the roster that still – the Chiefs have multiple groups right now that are the sum of their parts. And, of course, depth is, is a key at every position. But the ability to have multiple pass rushers, George Karloftis, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, or even on that defensive end room, you lose Mike Dana, you can notice because he's an important piece. You lose Frank Clark, you can tell because he's an important piece. The secondary is the same way. It is a – they need all those guys to get going at one time 
because they don't have like a superstar caliber player, unlike the interior of the defensive line, unlike the quarterback room, unlike tight ends, stuff like that. Um, they had Frank Clark, man. I, I don't think people give him nearly enough credit for what he has had to go through in order to just play on some game days and the very weird, odd, almost undescribably like mysterious illness he has where he can't keep food down. He loses a ton of weight, finally figures out how to manage that, then still has a couple issues with it during training camp and into the season. I know we only had five sacks this year. I know he didn't have the best raw box score stats, but he was better. He was objectively, I think, a pretty decent amount better than he was in 2021. Mm -hmm. He was probably on par with 2020, if not better than 2020. This isn't like prime, quote-unquote prime, uh, playoff Frank Clark from 2019 where he came in and had eight sacks, which isn't anything crazy, but he's a lot closer to that player. I think of the pressure rate and a couple other factors and get a little bit of luck here and there um, throughout the year. He has several more than five sacks. I think he's looking at eight, eight and a half, maybe even nine. So bringing him back and him investing and buying in, like you said, the contract they're going to have to deal with in the offseason. But he's played himself into a role now, and leadership-wise, it's always been there. And I think the Chiefs and him are both on the same understanding here at age 29 with the unique circumstances he has. You almost have to rework that deal and bring him back. I don't think you can let him go after this. Yeah, it's those little moves here or there. The one that fascinates me with the Eagles is is that they they had a uh, fascination uh, with with Zach Wilson uh, at time, and I just wonder, you know, if that because it seems like every move that the Eagles have made uh, has worked for them. They have not met that like the last year has been the year of the Eagles. Every single move that they've made has ended up being a home run, and I just wonder if a move and fascination for Zach Wilson, you know, they're in a completely different space than they are now. Final note from me, um, as Jordan Foote joins us here on the Blitz 1170, is I love your opinion on what scares you about the Eagles offensively and defensively as we head into this matchup? Yeah, I think offensively, it's got to be the wideout weapons. And they can run the ball to death. I just don't think personally that unless the Chiefs have a bad offensive game, um, the Eagles aren't going to be able to run their way to 35, 40 points on the Chiefs. So they're going to have to play uh, up to the Chiefs' pace, and that requires throwing the ball. So I think finding a way if you're the Chiefs secondary to contain A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith enough. And ironically, with all the pieces they've brought in that are new this year, we haven't seen the uh, tired Matthew throwing his up or arms up in the air, Dan Sorensen blowing a coverage. Like, they haven't had a ton of miscommunications where they give up explosive plays. So I think, I think the key limiting explosives for most wide receivers defensively um, and then offensively, it's got to be containing that pass rush. So the, the thing that scares me the most about the Eagles defense, when you have a unit that has Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, uh, Josh Sweat, Javon Hargrave, Hassan Reddick, and you add in Jordan Davis, and you add in Indomitian Sue, and I believe Robert Quinn is still out there somewhere, that is ridiculous. That is absolutely insane. They have whatever it is, 40 sacks in the last eight games. They're a unit that can – single-handedly ruin a game for the opponent. Reddick is a player that can single-handedly ruin a game for the opponent. Um, I think if you're an Eagles person, you would sprinkle some 
money on him to win Super Bowl MVP. He's that level of player this year. Um, so if the Chiefs can contain those wideouts defensively, and then offensively, if the tackles just have not even the game of their lives, but just better than their lows this season, if they give Patrick Mahomes a fighting chance, I think they're going to be okay. Jordan, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll uh, we'll continue to push everyone there to Arrowhead Report. Uh, keep up the great work there. I cannot thank you enough for coming on during the week of the Super Bowl with us here in Tulsa. And uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime soon uh, as we continue to cover the Kansas City Chiefs. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. That's Jordan Foote joining us, the deputy editor of Arrowhead Reports here on the Blitz 1170 at 218. All right. We will take a timeout. Uh, we will come back here in a few moments. The Big O will join us at the bottom of the hour at 2.30 here on the Blitz. Broadcasting live from the Ice Chili House Studios, serving four generations of Tulsans since 1908 here on the Blitz. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.